Okay, let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word, your word which is life and spirit, your word which is faith and hope and love, and your word which instructs us. God, today we want to pray for Pastor Joanne, Lord, that all the meditations of her heart and all that you have revealed to her, she will pass on to us faithfully, and that we will take heed of your word. We will live by your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Today we, we wrap up our, our series, our Revelation series on uh, the letters to the seven churches. And you know these letters are a little bit like um, appraisal reports. You know, if you, if you work, you will understand that, you know, there's always a time of the year where you do your work review, your performance review with your, your boss, and, and, and it can be an interesting season, right? Like maybe you think you, you did a lot of work, you did very well, you hit all the KPIs, and, and you know, you're, you're, you're ready for, for your boss to tell you, good job, and then instead you go in there and he's like, oh, these are all the things that, you know, you, you didn't do well, or, or, or you didn't do enough of, and, and all that. And, and sometimes we feel like we've done um, a good job, but we're not sure if our boss knows that we've done a good job, right? Or maybe if you're, if you're a student here, it's like, it's like your exams, right? Or you, you study really hard and then you fail. Or, like, or it could be the other way around, right? It could be, um, you know, you, you didn't study at all, or you're super nervous about the exam, and in the end you pass with flying colors, or, or, or maybe you're very nervous when you go in and, and you meet your boss and actually tells you, no, no, I know all the work that you've done, and, you know, I'm going to give you a big fat bonus, or, or, or something like that, right? Um, I feel like these letters to the churches are a little bit like that, except that God, unlike our human bosses, uh, knows everything, right? And he, he knows everything perfectly, and he sees everything. And many times in these seven letters, uh, we will see the phrase, I know, right? Christ knows everything. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right, for example, he tells the churches in, in Ephesus, in Pergamum, in Thyatira, I know, I know your hard work, your perseverance, your deeds, your faithfulness, but I also know the problems. Right? And sometimes what the church appears to be like on the outside is, is, is different from the true story. Right? Uh, Smyrna, and Jesus says, you know, it, it seems like they are in poverty, and Jesus says, I know your afflictions, but the truth is you are rich. Or like last week, looked at Sardis, right? Sardis had, an, had a reputation for being alive, but Jesus says, no, actually, I know your deeds, and you are dead. So Jesus knows. Right? So today, um, as we think about how Jesus knows everything about the churches, he knows everything about our lives, let us now look at the last letter, the last letter of these seven. It's the letter to Laodicea. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 3. And we will read from verse 14 onwards. It should be on the screen as well. Okay. Okay, so let's read um, the letter to Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, 
so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, I don't know if you remember when we started off the series, um, Pastor showed, off, showed us this structure that the seven churches roughly follow, right? And these letters, they usually start off with um, approval first, right? Jesus tells the church what they have done well in. Uh, before, he tells them what they didn't do well in. That is the accusation. And then Jesus gives them advice. He gives them counsel um, for what they should do, followed by an assurance for the one who overcomes or the one who is victorious, the one who conquers. And finally, there is the same appeal in all seven letters. Whoever has ears, which is all of us, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you look at the chart, you will notice that um, Sardis and Laodicea are the only two churches where there is no approval at all. Right? Jesus has, has nothing to commend them for. In fact, um, actually, the, the letter to Sardis at least has this one line that says, yet you have a few people who have not sorted their clothes, and they are worthy. But for Laodicea, Jesus has absolutely nothing good to say about this church. It's almost like he saved the worst for the last. And, and as he writes to this church, he launches straight into the accusation, and it is serious. Right? If you have been in church long enough, you will know that um, Laodicea is famous or, or infamous for being lukewarm, right? They are lukewarm Laodicea. That is the first thing um, Jesus says about this church. Now, why is lukewarm a bad thing? If you are a coffee drinker, uh, as I am, you will, you will understand this, okay? I, I love coffee. Look at that. <laughs> and and I, think, I think coffee perfectly illustrates the problem of being lukewarm. Because if you drink coffee, you either drink hot coffee or you drink iced coffee, right? Nobody goes up to the counter and orders a cup of lukewarm coffee, right? Because, because Singapore is so hot, I, I usually drink um, iced coffee. Also, you know, when it's, when it's cold, then you drink faster, the caffeine kicks in more intensely. <laughs> um, and, and, oh, so good, like that, right? Um, but, but, you know, there, there are also days, and, and I think a lot of us also enjoy like, a hot cup of coffee, right? It's, it's warm, it's comforting, it's rich, you can smell the aroma. And, and all that, right? But, but, but lukewarm coffee is just gross, right? I mean, I love the taste of coffee, but it has to be either hot or cold, right? Somehow, when it's lukewarm, it's gross. And, and actually, the Laodiceans in particular would understand this problem of being lukewarm because Laodicea was located near um, a place called Colossae, okay, which is known for its cold, um, freshwater springs, okay, which is great for drinking, it's cooling, it's refreshing. But it was also located near Hierapolis, which is known for its hot mineral waters. Okay, it had hot springs, you know, like kind of hot baths, people go there for spa, that kind of thing. And, and hot mineral water was supposed to have uh, therapeutic value, right? So nearby they had really cold water 
and really hot water. And so the Romans tried to build an aqueduct, like a, a canal or a pipe, to bring water from the nearby sources to Laodicea. Right? However, the problem was that by the time the water got to Laodicea, it became lukewarm. So the hot water was no longer hot, and the cold water was just not that cold anymore. Right? And, and if you think about it, the hot mineral spring water that was good for medicinal purposes, um, for baths, right? the cold spring water was good for, for drinking, it was cooling, it was refreshing. But by the time it got to being lukewarm water at Laodicea, it was not good for anything. In fact, because the water had such high mineral content, right, it had, it had a certain smell, so if you drink that water, you would, you would gag, you know, you, you would kind of puke and, and you would feel like spitting it out. And that is the problem with the lukewarm water, right? It was, it was useless, it was gross. And so when Jesus says, I wish you were neither hot nor cold, he doesn't mean I wish you were either passionate or then, or if not, just reject Jesus completely, right? That's not what he's saying. Because the cold water and the hot water both served a purpose, whereas the lukewarm water was useless. And you know, in the same way, a lukewarm church and a lukewarm Christian is useless to the world. Being lukewarm is such a big problem that Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. If you read some other Bible translations, it says, I'm about to vomit you out. And it's, it's, it's very harsh imagery. Right? Can you imagine Jesus saying that about your church? You know, I feel like sometimes the, maybe the Laodicean church, they're just sitting there, they're waiting for their letter, and then, and then when, the, when the, the letter is read out, it's so harsh, right? It's, the young people say it's savage. Right? It, is, it is a sign of, of rejection. This is a church that made Jesus feel sick. Right? Why, why is this so bad? Why is spiritual lukewarmness so bad? You know, if, if you look up um, the word laudition in a dictionary, I think it's, a, it's a, quite an archaic word. People don't really use it anymore. But um, the definition that you will find is that to be laudition is to be half-hearted, half-hearted or indifferent. And that's what Jesus meant when he called the church lukewarm. You see, the church in, in Laodicea were not people who flatly rejected Jesus. Um, they were not people who kind of like defiantly rebelled or go against his commands. But neither were they people who had fervor and passion and were true lovers of Christ. They were just halfway in between. You know, maybe in Singlish we call it, they were not here, not there. Right? They were neither hot nor cold. They were just halfway in between. And, and, and they adhered to that modern saying that we hear so often, you know, everything in moderation. Right? Christ had a moderate influence on their lives. Like they, they were somewhat influenced by what the Word of God says, but oh, they didn't go overboard in it. Right? They didn't get too excited about the creator of the universe. They didn't get too excited or passionate about the Savior who gave it all for us. And the church of our Laodicea had settled into a comfortable Christianity. You see, they didn't have persecution like Smyrna or Philadelphia, right? They didn't have these major problems of idolatry, um, heresy, immorality like, like Thyatira or Pergamum. But neither did they have zeal or passion. They just had indifference and apathy. And you know, nothing kills a church spiritually more than this. Right? It's an attitude of spiritual complacency, just like what Elder Shing talked about last week. 
You know, when, when following Jesus and, and when our relationship with God doesn't make a really big difference in our lives, it doesn't transform us radically. You know, we, we don't burn with desire for more of God. We are not consumed with zeal for his house. And when people talk about these things, we just say like, oh, no, no, that's, that's not my personality. That's not my style. We are not consumed and burning. And we settle into a comfortable Christianity when being a follower of Jesus doesn't cost us anything much. It doesn't take us out of our comfort zone. You know, we don't have that divine discontent with the status quo. We're satisfied. We're fine spiritually where we are. We're fine with spiritual stagnation. And we never think there must be more. There must be more than this. You see, the lukewarm church is spiritually self-satisfied. And today as we read this letter, we have to ask ourselves, especially since most of us here, we, many of us here, we've been Christians for a long time. We have, to, we have to ask ourselves, is this me? Is this our church? You know, maybe, maybe we're, not, we're not backsliding or anything. You know, we, we still come to church. We may, we may serve even. But we don't follow hard after Jesus and pursue him with all our soul and all our might. He is not the all-consuming treasure of our hearts and our exceedingly great reward. Right? Maybe, maybe we're, we're, we're generally decent people. You know, we're not murdering. We're not sleeping around. But we're also not loving people selflessly. We're not finding every opportunity to share the gospel with them. We're not really delighting in the word, devoting ourselves to prayer, worshipping with reckless abandon. We're just like that, like, like that, law, spiritually, how are you? Okay, law, right? And, and we're satisfied with that. If that is the case, then we've, we've become lukewarm. We have grown half-hearted in matters of life and death, in matters of eternity. Right? We hear that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and our response is, yeah, okay, I know. We hear that the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, you know, he loves you so much. He knows every detail of your lives. He, he knows the number of hairs on your head. And our response to that is, uh-huh, okay. Right? And, and we're indifferent. We're just we're indifferent. See, a lukewarm church is useless to the world, just like the lukewarm water in Laodicea was useless. Because if all we are is a lukewarm church, then all we are really is a religious and social club. A lukewarm church is not salt and light of the world. It's not a city on a hill as we are called to be. A lukewarm church is maybe good for people to make some friends, attend some events and activities, but that's about it. And as a lukewarm church, as a lukewarm Christian, you won't offend anyone but you won't win anyone either. And Jesus has this to say about this church, I'm about to spit you out. You see, the church in Laodicea, they were, they were spiritually indifferent. They were self-satisfied. And another thing about this church is that they were self-sufficient. Right? They were independent of God. They thought they were doing fine on their own. Right? They said, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth, I have everything I need, and I don't need anything else. You know, Laodicea was, um, was a wealthy city. 
right? It was a, it was a commercial hub in Asia Minor. It was a financial center. And, and, and the city was so rich that in AD 60, when they had an earthquake that destroyed the city, um, the Roman government offered the people money, you know, to rebuild the city aid and all that. Um, but they said, no, no, no need. We have more than enough money to rebuild the city on our own. No big deal. We'll do it, right? Laodicea was also famous for um, a special breed of sheep that was found nowhere else. Okay, this, this sheep produced soft, shiny, um, jet black wool that was then sold at, at a high price, you know, used to make like luxury clothes and, and people would come from all over the world to, 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 buy, these, to buy this wool and, and that's how the city made a lot of money as well. Now, Laodicea was also a medical hub, okay? They had a great medical school, um, good hospital, um, they were famous for producing different ointments, drugs, medicine, and, and especially this eye salve that was supposedly so powerful it could even cure blindness. Right? So people came from all over the world to be healed for their eye diseases here. So basically, this is a city where um, its people was known for their health and their wealth. And in the same way that the city told the Roman government, no, we don't need their help. We're really rich. We can rebuild the city on our own. In the same way, the church of Laodicea had that attitude towards God. Because they failed to see their need for God. They said, I'm rich and I don't need a thing. You know, we live in a city that is not too different from Laodicea, right? We are, we are a successful commercial trading hub high GDP per capita, you know, we're, we're a medical hub, right, right now we're currently being praised, admired all over the world for the way we're handling this, this um, coronavirus crisis. You know, we're, we're very much a health and wealth city as well. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think that the Church of Singapore and the Church of PPH, right, v mostly, generally, we are upper middle class, right, I, in general, right, I, very few of us are living on the poverty line. In general, mostly we are financially comfortable. And, and there's nothing wrong with being rich, right? But one of the dangers of being wealthy and successful is that you begin to think that you can take care of everything on your own, that we are managing our lives fine on our own. And we start to lose sight of the need to trust God we forget that everything we have comes from God alone. That we are completely dependent on Him. And when we have plenty, it is very easy to forget that apart from God, we can do nothing. That apart from Him, we have no good thing. And then our attitude becomes just like the Laodicean church. And we say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. I've got it all. And I think that if we are honest with ourselves, sometimes we live in this way. We just, we do our own thing. We, you know, we're independent people. We make decisions on our own. We make plans on our own, right? We're, we're, we're fine. And maybe, maybe sometimes we remember and we say a quick prayer, like almost like an afterthought or just like an insurance thing or, or like a social, a sorry, a religious obligation. But really, deep down inside, deep down inside, we don't think that we desperately, desperately need Jesus. Because we feel like we're managing our lives pretty well on our own. We're doing good. We're doing fine. In fact, you know, that's, that's, that's um, probably the reason that a lot of my friends uh, don't respond to the gospel. 
because they're, they're educated people, um, they're financially comfortable, you know, they're, they're just generally doing well in life, and it's very hard for them to see their need for a savior because they're self-sufficient. But even as believers, right, we sometimes forget that we are not self-sufficient. And, and perhaps one of, these, one of the ways that, that, that we can see this is, is when we neglect prayer. Right? When, because we are driven to our knees only when we feel that we really, really need God. Right? When, when, we, when we are self-satisfied and, and we are self-sufficient, when we think that we are rich and, and we don't need a thing, and, and that's when you stop praying. That's when you stop spending time with God. I mean, I'll be honest with you. This week, I prayed a lot because I have to preach today. Right? But maybe some weeks when I, I, I don't have to preach, then my, my prayer life goes, you know, I, I, like prayer is born out of spiritual desires. And when we neglect prayer, it shows that we have zero spiritual desire. We have no need for God, and we're not crying out for more of Him. Right? When we cannot make time to pray, when prayer is simply an afterthought and not a priority in our lives, Right? When we don't spend that every day, those moments um, on our own seeking God and talking to Him, it's because we have no idea or we've forgotten and we don't understand just how desperate and needy we really are. Right? The Laodicean th church thought they were rich and they were not needy. But Jesus says, you're terribly wrong. You do not realize. You do not realize the truth about yourselves that you are indifferent, that you are independent, and you're also ignorant. You are ignorant that you are self-satisfied, self-sufficient. Self you are self-deceived. You think you're fine, but really you're about to be spit out. Jesus says you think you are wealthy, successful, rich, but really you are spiritually impoverished. You think you have that fine black wool to make luxurious clothes, but really... You are spiritually naked. You are bare, right? You know, it's like the story of, you know, have you heard of the, the legend of the emperor with new clothes? When he was, you know, parading around thinking that he's wearing these fine clothes when really he's, he's just parading around his shameful nakedness. And that's, it's very harsh, but this is what Jesus says to the Laodicean church. You're poor, you're naked, and you're spiritually blind. You see, their, their, their material prosperity and their self-sufficiency had clouded their spiritual vision and they were blinded to their true spiritual state. Their city was famous for treating eye diseases, right? People came to Laodicea to be cured of physical blindness, but in the church, there was spiritual blindness. And Jesus says, you are lukewarm, you are indifferent, you think you're independent, you think you're self-sufficient, but really you are ignorant. You have no idea. You do not realize how wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked you really are. You know, this is, this is a very harsh letter. These are, these are very harsh words. But, but I believe that this letter to Laodicea is equally relevant to all of us today. You see, the truth is, the truth is that we are all wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's just whether we realize it or not. And for all of us, every one of us here, and especially if we've been believers for a long time, it's very easy to forget this because on the outside, we all generally look like 
good, decent, respectable Christians, right? We, we, we think we come to church, you know, we, we serve, we don't, we don't kill people, we don't embezzle money, and we're not criminals. We're, we're actually pretty good people. And we forget that at the core, the core of it all, we are all wretched sinners saved only by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are wretched sinners saved only by amazing grace. Our hearts, our hearts are deceitful beyond cure. We have no righteousness, zero righteousness of our own to boast about. We have no hope, no goodness apart from our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it can be so easy to settle into a comfortable Christianity, thinking that on our own, we're fine. You know, we're managing okay. We're not struggling with some big secret sin or whatever. But you know, if you think about it, when we come before the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, you may be a really decent and nice person by the world's standards, but compared to our holy and perfect God, no one, no one can stand. We are all, we are all wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, if you read the start, if you read the start of this letter um, to Revelation, right, the Apostle John, he sees a vision of Christ and he falls to his feet as though he is dead. Right? If you know the great prophet Isaiah, when he comes into the presence of the Holy God, he, he, he says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Right? In Isaiah 64, it says, Our righteous acts, our righteousness, they are like filthy rags. Whatever shred of goodness we have, it's just like filthy rags in the presence of our holy God. And this is, this is something that, that I need to remind myself all, myself all the time. Because I've been a Christian for, for more than 30 years. You know, I was practically born into this church. You know, I attended PPH all my life. I've, I've served in church um, for many years. Um, now I work as a pastor. But you know, the more I desire um, to grow as a disciple of Christ, to be honest, the more I realize, more and more, that truly I am wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Because maybe outwardly, outwardly I look like a, a decent Christian, but when Jesus shines his light of truth and perfection and holiness into my life and into all the hidden, deep areas of my life, and he exposes all my heart, my thoughts, my deeds, there's, there's no argument. Right, there's no argument that I am wretched. There's, there's still so much pride and, and greed and self-centeredness and insecurity, hypocrisy, and, and all that in my life. And so as we look at this letter today, you know, this is not meant to condemn you or, or make you feel bad, guilt trip you or whatever. No, this is really basic gospel truth that we are all fallen human beings who cannot save ourselves. For anyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ, any one of us who calls ourselves disciples of Jesus, the first step is recognizing how sinful and inadequate we are and acknowledging how much we desperately need him. Because church, unless you understand how wretched you are, you will never fully appreciate and understand the greatness and the depth of God's love and grace for you. The depth of his love 
when he went to the cross, that he sees the depths of our hearts and all our depravity and loves us the same, loves us still. And the Son of God, the King of Kings, he loves us so much that he willingly made himself nothing. He became a human. He humbled himself to be mocked, spat on, flogged, and to die on a cross for the sake of wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked people like us. And that is why we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and like you. And unless we realize how hopeless we are in ourselves and how wonderful we have been made in Christ Jesus because of his radical love for us, his amazing grace toward us. Until we realize that, we will remain lukewarm, half-hearted, and indifferent. And it is because God loves us so much that he doesn't just point out what's wrong with the church and then like destroy them or spit them out. Yes, it's a very harsh letter, but then in verse 19, we read this. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Right? Jesus says, I am scolding you and I'm so harsh because I love you. And those of us who are parents here will, will be very familiar with this. Right? Like, I scold you because I love you. <laughs> now that I'm a parent, I understand it a lot more. Because if you really love someone... You scold them when they are in the wrong because you love them too much for them to remain in their wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked state. You know, if a parent never disciplines a child, imagine what that would do to the child. Right? A judge will just punish, but a parent, a father, disciplines. A good father disciplines out of love. Those whom I love I, I rebuke and discipline. So, be earnest and repent. Right? To be earnest is the exact opposite of being lukewarm. To be earnest is to be enthusiastic, is to be zealous, is to be diligent. And Jesus says, repent. Turn back. Turn back from your self-satisfaction, from your self-sufficiency, from your self-sufficiency, from your self-deception. Turn back to Christ. And this is the advice, the counsel that Jesus gives to lukewarm Laodicea. Turn back. Turn back to Jesus. Verse 18, Jesus says, Instead of thinking that you have everything that you need, come to me to get what you really, really need. Which is this, gold refined in the fire, white clothes and salve to put in your eyes. You see, these were all things that the city was famous for. Right? It was famous for money, it was famous for, for, for nice clothes, it was famous for eyes self. And Jesus is saying, you think you have all this, you think you have it all, but what you really need is only found in me. True riches and wealth is found only in Jesus, not in money. 
right? Laodicea had their famous black wool, the luxury clothes, but Jesus says, no, I have white clothes to cover your shameful nakedness. And you know, if you read Revelation, white clothes is mentioned many times in the book of Revelation. They are a symbol of, of purity, of the redeemed, right? The, they are a symbol of the righteousness of Christ. The elders are dressed in white. The faithful martyrs are dressed in white. The armies of God, they are all dressed in white. And Jesus says, you need my righteousness as clothes to cover your shameful nakedness. And finally, he says, you also need eye salve. What they needed was not the Laodicean eye salve to cure physical blindness, but Jesus to cure their spiritual blindness. Right? The church of Laodicea thought that they didn't need anything, but they did not realize that all the things that they need were only found in Christ. And you know, how do you buy all these things when you are poor, when you are blind and you are naked? Right? I think the answer is in verse 20. Jesus stands here, sorry, the answer is in verse 20. (laughs) Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see, on your own, you cannot go out and buy these things. You have to invite Jesus in. You cannot work for this gold and clothes and this eye salve. You have to pray. You ask for it and you let Jesus into your life because Jesus has paid the price. He has brought it. He has brought us with his blood. You know this verse, Revelation 3.20, is often quoted as in like, like an evangelism deal, right? To pre-believers, you know, we tell them, about Jesus, he's standing there, he's knocking at the door of your heart and, and you know, will you let him in, right? But you know, the real context of this verse is Jesus talking to the church. He's talking to his church and he's saying, let me in. He is talking to the lukewarm Christians who think that they have not, they need nothing more of Christ and who keep the door to the inner room of their hearts shut. And the great tragedy of the Laodicean church is that Jesus is not even inside the church. He's standing outside. He's outside asking to be let in. Can you imagine week after week, right, at the church service, all the Christian stuff they do, Jesus is not even there. And actually the greater tragedy is that no one in the church realizes this. No one sees, no one hears that Jesus is outside and trying to get in because they are so self-satisfied, self-sufficient, that they just continue with all the church programs, church activities, and, and they think they're fine without the Lord. You know, it seems like such a basic thing to say, but we need to allow the Lord into our lives. This is the advice that Jesus gives in the letter. Repent and turn back to him for what we truly need, for the wealth, the riches of Christ, the robes of his righteousness, the wisdom to see things as God does. We have to let Jesus in and let him be Lord. And then after the accusation, after the advice, Jesus gives them the assurance. And he says this, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, at the end of all these seven letters, there is an assurance for the one who is victorious, right? or the one who conquers, the one who overcomes. 
And in this last letter, when Jesus says, just as I was victorious, we are reminded that the only reason why we have all these assurances is because of the ultimate victor, the ultimate conqueror, and the ultimate overcomer, Jesus Christ our Lord. It is because at the cross, Jesus won the victory for us. He conquered sin and the devil, and he overcame the grave. And his offer here is that the victorious ones will be seated on the throne with him. So he's saying, he's saying to the church, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But, but if you will conquer and overcome your lukewarmness, your indifference, your, your half-heartedness, and your spiritual self-satisfaction, then you will be seated on the throne with Christ. And the only way you can do this, the only way we can do this if we, is if we are earnest and we repent. And we acknowledge that apart from Him, apart from Him, we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And we let Jesus in and allow the power of Christ to dwell in us. You know, if you look at the beginning of the entire book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, John writes that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And every letter to the seven churches, it actually begins with a particular attribute of Christ. It will say, like, these are the words um, uh, of him who is the faithful and true witness, the first and the last, you know, the, the one who died and came to life again, um, the one who has the sharp double-edged sword, the one who holds the key of David, the ruler of God's creation. And all these descriptions, they correspond to that vision of Christ that John had in John chapter 1. Where Jesus Christ, he sees a vision of Christ and his eyes are like blazing fire. His voice is like the sound of rushing waters. His face is shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. And then in the rest of Revelation as well, we read, we keep reading things like the angels, the elders, they fall before Jesus and they sing. They never stop singing, worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. You are worthy to receive our power and glory and honor. And my prayer is that after reading through these seven letters, that we will be gripped, not so much by the problems you know, of the churches and maybe corresponding to the problems of our lives, but, but really that we will be gripped by the glory and the beauty and the worthiness of our victorious Jesus Christ. Elder Shing said it last week, that we would wake up to the magnificence of Jesus Christ that we would have a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. Because church, you know, when we have a fresh revelation of Him, when our eyes are open to His majesty, His holiness, and to the greatness of our Lord, then there is no way that we will be lukewarm and indifferent and half-hearted. When we see the beauty of our Lord, there is no way when we see the power and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ, there is no way we will think that we're fine and sufficient on our own. And so today, as we, as we wrap up the sermon and as we wrap up this entire series, I hope that we will pay attention to the appeal, the appeal of Jesus Christ. All the letters, they end in the same way. Whoever has ears, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. I'm going to ask right now, would, you, would we all just take a moment now to come before the Lord individually and hear what the Spirit is saying to us, to our church? What is the Holy Spirit saying to us, to me, today? Have we been lukewarm? Has our spiritual life just settled into a comfortable routine where we forget how wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked we are without our Lord Jesus Christ? Because God is looking for wholehearted disciples, not for half-hearted devotion. So today, let's respond to God. Let's be honest and repent. Let's turn back from Him. Turn away from our self-sufficiency, from being satisfied with where we are. Let's ask God to open our eyes from our spiritual blindness, that we would see the beauty and majesty and worth of our Lord Jesus Christ and turn back to him. Today I want to pray and, and close with the doxology from Revelation chapter 1. Will we all rise for this? Revelation 1 says, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness firstborn from the dead ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. God, today we come before you and we fully acknowledge, God, our need for you, our dependency on you. God, we say apart from you, we have no good thing. Apart from you, we have nothing. And God, we acknowledge that we desperately need you, Savior, to be in our lives, to take control, to come into our lives and dwell with us. So God, today, would you heal us of our indifference, of our apathy, of our half-heartedness and lukewarmness. And God, would you put in us a passion and zeal and fervor for your name. God, would you make us true disciples of Jesus Christ, that we would offer to you our wholehearted devotion and we would offer you our lives. God, today as we close the service, we also want to commit the offering to you. We acknowledge that God, we owe you everything. Everything that we have comes from you. We bring to you only what is, what is yours in the first place. And so God, we offer you our tithes, our offering, our money, but God, we also offer you our lives in gratitude for all that you have done for us. 
that you have loved us and freed us from our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. So God, would you take our offering, our money, as well as our lives, and would you use it for the glory of your kingdom and for the glory of your name, because God, we say that you are worthy. You are worthy, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we leave the service today, we just want to um, give you a reminder would you throw away the communion cups in the bins outside and, and put your tithes and offerings in the boxes here. Thank you.